looking at the book of uh, Proverbs, and uh, we've been uh, checking through that. And I want you to just think about Proverbs as a puzzle for a few minutes. Proverbs is kind of like a, a new puzzle that you get, and you dump out all those puzzle pieces, and none of them seem to relate to each other, and pretty soon you have to start sorting them, and this goes with that, and this goes with that, and you kind of move the puzzle pieces so they, they kind of look like they belong in this section or that section and that kind of thing. Proverbs is kind of like that. It's just a, uh, it's a bunch of Proverbs that all got thrown up in the air and mixed together, and then we can kind of pull them out, and this one goes over here with that, and if you want to you know, study a certain theme in Proverbs, that's kind of the way you do that in Proverbs. You sort them all out like a big puzzle piece. The other thing about Proverbs is that it, it employs contrasting uh, puzzle pieces. In other words, each puzzle piece um, will emphasize an opposite of each other, or a lot of them do. And so you will see things like um, wisdom versus folly in the same proverb, um, or generosity versus stinginess, or joy uh, versus anger, love versus lust, diligence versus um, laziness, good a good lifestyle versus a bad lifestyle, or good security, real security versus false security, justice versus injustice. And then what God loves is contrasted with what God hates, and all of that. Well, last week we looked at that first nine chapters of Proverbs. There's three different sections of Proverbs. Uh, the first one is written kind of in prose, and it deals with... Um, Basically, the whole whole theme is an invitation to wisdom and warning against foolishness and uh, tells us about the consequences of choosing a lifestyle of foolishness. This second part of Proverbs is from chapter 10, verse 1, all the way through the end of chapter 24. And that is where we get the official name for the book, Proverbs, because that's that's where the bulk of the actual Proverbs are in this book, the ones that were written by Solomon. Uh, there are 375 of them in this section. And these are Proverbs that are just written to all people. Um, good common sense wisdom for all people in this section. Um, and they reflect those themes that we just talked about um, wisdom versus folly, stinginess versus generosity, those kind of things. It reflects all of those themes. And we're going to look at a couple of them today. Um, the first one, wisdom versus folly. Proverbs is very clear all the way through the book that we reap what we sow in regard to wisdom and foolishness. Now, I'm going to show you this, and, and I normally um, put up the scripture in NIV because that's what I, I usually read from. This one happens to come from the message, so I'm going to highlight that fact uh, that it is a paraphrase, and you may want to go to your translation and, and, and read it from there. But Proverbs 13 really emphasizes this whole contrast between wisdom and folly. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. So no more drinking from death-tainted wells. 
Sound thinking makes for gracious living, but liars walk a rough road. A common sense person lives good sense. Fools litter the country with silliness. Irresponsible talk makes a real mess of things, but a reliable reporter is a healing presence. That would be a really good one for our nation right now. (laughs) Refuse discipline and end up homeless. Embrace correction and live an honored life. Souls who follow their hearts thrive. Fools bent on evil despise matters of the soul. Become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. So you see that contrast there, that, that theme in, in Proverbs, in, just, in those verses in particular, they just remind us that, you know, uh, wisdom is contrasted with foolishness and they go different, they end uh, completely different from each other. Now, in one regard, one of the ways that wisdom is contrasted with foolishness in Proverbs is especially in regard to the tongue. Um, you've heard the proverb, um, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and to remove all doubt. Um, now, that's not from Solomon. Um, That is often attributed to Abraham Lincoln or Mark Twain, depending on uh, who who, um, references it. But that thought is originally um, expressed in Proverbs 17.28 by Solomon. And he writes, Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent, and discerning if they hold their tongues. (laughs) I love this quote by Victor Elfson. Sometimes we forget to turn off the sound when our mind goes blank. <laughs> so that expresses one of the huge differences between the wise and the foolish. The wise are prudent with their tongues, the foolish are not. Listen to these verses um, from Proverbs chapter 10. Uh, Chapter 10, 10 through 21 with some breaks in there. Um, here's, here's a number of Proverbs that pretty much the whole section does deal with the tongue. Whoever wings maliciously causes grief, and a chattering fool comes to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning. But a rod is for the back of one who has no sense. The wise store up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. And skipping down to verse 19, sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for a lack of sense. Rabbi Simeon ben uh, Gamaliel one day asked his servant to go and buy some good food for him in the market. And the servant went down to the market and he returned home and he brought back the rabbi a tongue. The next day, the rabbi asked his servant to go and buy some bad food 
The servant went down to the market and came back and gave him a tongue. <laughs> when the rabbi asked the servant why he returned with a tongue both times, the servant made this astute observation. Good comes from it and bad comes from it. When the tongue is good, there is nothing better. And when the tongue is bad, there is nothing worse. Proverbs chapter 12 Verse 18 says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. It's quite amazing to me as you walk through the Proverbs, just how many of the Proverbs speak about the tongue in reference to the spirit of a man. A fool crushes the spirit of people. A wise person brings healing to their spirits. Proverbs 15.4 says, The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, No man has prosperity so high or so firm, but that two or three words cannot dishearten it. And there is no calamity which right words will not begin to redress. And so the power of the tongue there in, in terms of either hurting people or, or healing and being a medicine to people. One of the old families in the old Dakota district um, was the Bingaman family. And there are Binghamans that are down in Rapid City and Prairie City and then over in Connor and that area of our district. And uh, Priscilla actually grew up with Fred Bingaman as a pastor for a while. Uh, you were pretty young at the time, I think. Yeah, pretty young girl. So it's been a while. Um, and, and Fred was the... <laughs> longer for me. <laughs> Fred was the pastor for her when she was a little girl. And uh, he's passed away. Fred and Maxine, they were longtime old elders in the, in the district. And... Um, they especially were involved in the, in the Ridge Camp and all of that area. But uh, his grandson, Raymond, was at the Ridge Camp meeting about 20 years ago now. And I had been out there. Uh, I was the youth evangelist. One of the first years that I was here at the church here, probably about 20 years ago. And um, I was there and I ran into Raymond and I didn't recognize him, didn't have a clue who he was. He, he came up to me at winter retreat uh, in Billings a couple weeks ago and um, started talking to me and introduced himself and asked me if I recognized him and I didn't and, and then asked me if I remembered coming out to Ridge Camp and being the youth evangelist and I said, yeah, I remember that. And we talked a little bit about the timing and dating of all of that. And then he started running down through some of the things that he had gone through since uh, he was, and he was really on the young edge of being a youth. Um, at the time, and, and he started walking through his life and some of the things that have occurred to him, and he said, you know, I just felt that I needed to come and tell you something. You said something to me at an altar um, at that camp, and he said, you didn't just talk to me, but he said, you got and you made eye contact with me, and you spoke some words of life to me. And he said through some of these things, he was in Haiti, about lost his life, and, and it was real questionable for a while whether he was going to live or die, uh, survive some crazy things down in, in Haiti. And, um, and just so happened he had a major brain concussion as a result of the fall. 
and then um, there was nobody in Haiti that could treat him, and it just so happened that one of the hospitals in Miami rotated doctors um, into Haiti every two weeks, and the one that they put on call that week, that um, for those two weeks, um, was a brain surgeon. <laughs> Of all the different kinds of doctors, they sent a brain surgeon to Haiti, and he said, that's the only reason I'm alive and able to talk and, and all the things that I'm doing. But but Raymond said to me, he said, every day, he said, you wouldn't believe this, but he said, every day during that event and some of the other events that he walked me through, I still go back to remember those words, and it didn't take me 15 seconds to say them to him. But he, he has hung on to those words that have gotten through some things. And I don't remember, I didn't remember that event. I didn't remember hardly anything about it. But he has hung on to those words. And, and sometimes it doesn't take much, but our words can either kill or they can heal. And we may not even be aware of it. But I have, I mean, that, that was just a, a reminder to me uh, of how important our words are uh, to other people and how God can use them. One of the other themes uh, that comes across in uh, Proverbs is this theme of, of diligence versus laziness. And you see that contrast in uh, Proverbs chapter 10, um, where it says, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a delightful or disgraceful son. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't be delightful. <laughs> um, and of course, you and I know the more famous passage in Proverbs from Proverbs chapter 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. Bob Green um, writes, he says, I believe that we need to expand our thinking to include a broader interpretation of lazy. And then he goes on, he says some challenging things here. He says, anytime you want something or say you want it, and then you don't take the steps to accomplish it, you're being lazy. Or you act in direct opposition to what you say you want, you're being lazy. Those are some challenging uh, thoughts there from Bob Green. Here's a, here's a sample warning from uh, Proverbs 18. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. And then part of the problem with laziness is that it is often accompanied by a spirit of arrogance. Proverbs 26:16. The sluggard is wise in his own eyes, wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. <laughs> That's pretty astounding uh, mark there. One of my favorite uh, theologians, or theologians, philo politicians, there we go, I have the right word now. Uh, one of my favorite politicians um, in the course of my life is Margaret Thatcher. 
And uh, here's, here's a quote from her. Look at a day when you are supremely satisfied at the end. It's not a day when you lounge around about doing nothing. It's when you've had everything to do and you've done it. Here's another, the third, um, the third part or the third theme of Proverbs that I want to talk about this morning. And that is this theme of generosity versus stinginess. We are to choose a lifestyle of generosity over stinginess, partly because God simply cares about the needy. Proverbs 14, verses uh, 1431 says, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Proverbs 22, verse 9 says, A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. And we we simply can never afford to forget that theme because it runs, if you read the minor prophets in the Old Testament, that theme is all the way through. Um, the minor prophets in particular and even the major prophets, all the way through. One of the things that God disciplined Israel for is their lack of compassion for the needy. That's one of the reasons he sent them, in addition to the idolatry and everything else, one of the things that he references again and again that he sent them into captivity for is their lack of regard for the poor. And so you see that here in Proverbs also that we cannot afford in God's sight to be stingy uh, with, with the needy around us. Proverbs 25 verses 21 through 22 commands generosity even to our enemies. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. So we have to be generous with others when they hurt us, not ignoring injustice done to someone else. No one has ever been more gracious or generous in offense than God has been, and we are called to be like him. God has been incredibly, uh, while we were yet sinners, God loved us and sent his son to die for us. And Frank, remember um, in the middle of, of World War II, um, Anne Frank writes, no one has ever become poor by giving. Now you might expect that quote to come from a number of people, but not Anne Frank, in her circumstances. And yet she says, no one has ever become poor by giving. Now, in regard to... Uh, this matter of generosity and stinginess. I, I just want to stop and I want to talk to you a little bit about our church and our congregation. And I, I just want to praise you in this regard. Um, I really do not believe, and the longer I live, the more prone I am to think um, this way, but I really do not think it matters so much to God whether we are material, materially blessed or not. I think it matters to God whether I honor him in blessing or in a lack of blessing. I think that's what matters to God. Um, what matters to God is what I do with whatever state I'm in. How I live in that. How I honor him in that. Um, as a church, we have been blessed. Um, you, you can't deny that. I can't deny that. Nobody can, can look around and deny that. 
small rural churches um, are rarely blessed like this church has been. Um, most small rural churches have adopt, adopted a scarcity mindset and they have become ingrown and stingy and uh, really focused about on themselves, uh, really caring most about their own comfort and their own survival. Um, and most of them um, have not been very comfortable places to be uh, the last years before they ceased to survive. <laughs> and some of us have been in, in some of those kind of situations before. But Proverbs 11, verse 17, reminds us that generosity benefits not only the recipient, but also the giver. Generosity always blesses those who give. Listen to Prover- or the wisdom of Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now, while I have some concerns about other issues in our church, I just want to praise us this morning for having the wisdom of Solomon in regard to a mindset of generosity. Um, I told the board uh, this last week at our church board meeting that I believe God values highly this church for two main reasons. Um, And that is the impact we have on the world through the academy. And secondly, the impact we have on the world through missions and outreach and all of that. We could be very stingy. We could be very stingy and keep everything in-house and be concerned about doing whatever we can um, right here and now. And what that does is turn us into a a swamp or a dead sea. (laughs) And uh, where everything comes in and it never goes out, and pretty soon you can't drink that water because it's just gone bad. Um, We could be slightly less stingy and keep everything in the house, and keep everything even in in the ministry that is in our house, the academy. Uh, But that fails even the test of obedience to the heartbeat of the scriptures. And so one of the the things I just want to remind you, and I want to thank you for this morning, is the fact that you have supported and blessed this church, and... um, been supportive of the church as it practices focused generosity. And when we use those words, focused generosity, you and I can't do everything. (laughs) But we can choose to do some things, and if we get spread too far out, pretty soon we're giving to all kinds of needs and not really helping anyone. So we focus it and narrow it in, and we don't meet every every need that is out there or meet it in the way that maybe somebody wants it met, but we try to focus it and keep it narrowed down. Um, but in terms of um, alphabetical order here, I've got them. We, you know, we support um, Bach and Oil Rush Ministries and um, help them, and we do that in a number of ways, supporting the ministry itself and then helping them as they minister to people that they have contacts that we don't have. And so a lot of times we'll help with cash-wise food cards for people that just really need help with that, and they have a better system for making sure um, that that people that really need that get those cards. Um, we help Brenda Olmstead, um, who most of you know and and love, and um, you know our former pastor's wife that just has lived in a lot of suffering um, as a result of the accident that took her dad's life and. Um, 
and genetics and all that kind of stuff. But we we just um, we give generously to support her, and um, we do that from the gifts that come in, but also from the general fund and support her every week and or every month. And so that's that's something that's important to us. And we, while there's all kinds of needs out there, that's the focused one that we focus on continually as a church. Um, Jesus Film Ministries is today the the absolute bar none, um, the most effective means of evangelism in the world. Um, there are more people today coming to Christ around the world through the Jesus Film Ministry than any other kind of ministry that is out there today. And so we support that. One percent of your tithes and offerings go to support the Jesus Film Ministry. And um, it, it's just absolutely amazing the millions of people that have now come to Christ um, through uh, not just the Wesleyans, but through numbers of denominations that are using that um, and, and in Nepal and um, all kinds of places. Kelby's going on a mission trip to Nepal, and I'm, I'm hoping that he'll get to see the Jesus film um, in, in uh, use there. Um, the Academy. Um, the impact that we have had over the last nearly 30 years now. Um, um, is it more? More. Yeah, it's a more. Um, 30 years plus of ministry there um, that we've had impacting young people through the academy. Um, Northwest Church District um, plants. Um, we support two, the one in Bozeman. And just being there um, several weeks ago, right before winter retreat, and seeing the church um, and seeing all kinds of young people that five years ago did not know Jesus at all, and today they're, they're Christian, they're discipled, they've been mentored, and they're working themselves in ministry and leadership across the, uh, the church. Um, that was so exciting for me to see um, the impact that this church is having over there in Bozeman. Um, and then um, Wesleyan, our Wesleyan missionaries through Global Partners. And, and yeah, there's you know probably a hundred different missionary couples and families, but we've got six that we, we try to keep up with and support and make a difference in their lives on an ongoing basis. And then lastly is World Hope, uh, that, that is kind of the social... Um, ministry need, and they deal with child trafficking and sex trafficking and and wells um, where where people don't have good water and they're you know they get die from cholera and whatever else. But they they deal with all those kind of things. The animal multiplication project that we talked a little bit about last Sunday. There's all kinds of those projects that they deal with and open up doors uh, for for the church to be able to come in and lead people to Jesus because they've been there and met physical needs of people. So that's a pretty well-rounded approach to missions and outreach. Um, And I'd like to see us doing more in terms of effective outreach, of of seeing people come to know Jesus right here. Um, We haven't figured out how to do that more effectively, but I really believe that God loves this church because um, of the fact that we have chosen to live a lifestyle of generosity as opposed to stinginess. Um, And and I want to thank you for being part of that 